And as we continue on this year, 2020 vision, it made me kind of laugh this week. I, I saw where a lot of churches and some uh, nonprofit organizations were all using the same theme of 2020 vision. Uh, I like ours, though. Come see what God can do. We're about seeing what God is doing. And we know that our God changes lives. We know that our God takes what is dead and brings it to life. He takes what is dirty and makes it clean. And as those who have been made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ, we understand our responsibility is make disciples. We're looking to make an impact, impact our homes, our, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. And we're looking to see what God can do. And right now we're in this series where we're, we're trying to see what a healthy family looks like. There are specific things that happens in, in these healthy families. And last week when we started this series, uh, we, we finished by talking about what the story tells us about every child and every person on the planet. We, we, we finished the, the, the message last Sunday being reminded that we've all been made in the image of God in creation. But the world is not as it should be now because of the fall. That means that every child is a sinner. Every one of us is a sinner. But God loved us so much that He sent His only Son to save us from that sin. And every child, every child is in need of this Savior. Every one of us is in need of that Savior. And that Savior came, and He's coming again at the restoration. And at that restoration, uh, everything will be finalized. And it's important to understand, mom and dad, your child is going to be somewhere in 500 years. Where are you guiding your child to be? We're all going to be somewhere 500 years from now. Where are, where are you going? Where are you headed? What path are you taking? And we talked about the necessity of trusting in Jesus Christ and knowing what He can do and, and realizing the, the responsibility of the eternality of every soul. We, we are taking very serious what Jesus commanded us to do in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. We're to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things He's commanded us, remembering that He's with us always to the very end of the age. There are three parts to that I want to make sure that you catch. We're to make disciples, then we're to baptize them, then we're to teach them to observe all the things God's commanded us in that order. Before a person can obey, they got to know Jesus. And when they know Him, they love Him. And when they love Him, they obey Him. And they obey Him through baptism. And then they learn more and more how to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's the responsibility of every mom and dad. We have the greatest opportunity to make disciples at home. And when families are healthy, societies are healthy. Maybe one of the greatest things you can do for the world and with the world and in the world is raise a child to know and love Jesus Christ. And that, that is a commandment. And, and the way we do it is described in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, we see here with the Shema, hear, O Israel. That Shema comes from this word in, in Hebrew, it means hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is what mom and dads are responsible for. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them, teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Mom and dad, you're responsible for talking about Jesus, talking about the gospel, being mindful to bring to mind how good God is, the God of the Bible, who he is, how he has revealed himself, how we can know him, how we can love him. Realizing that there is a grand story, the story of God, and how our story is to be a part 
part of his story. We understand creation, fall, rescue, restoration. That's what the Bible teaches. And each of us has an individual story. We understand that God's design is perfection and harmony, but we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a broken world because of sin. But the good news is the gospel. God has come to save us from sin, to give us a new life. If we will repent and believe in him, we can pursue and recover God's design. This is what we must know, not simply so that we can know it, but so that we can share it. We need to be able to share it with our children. We need our children to be able to share it at school. And today what we're going to, to, to learn and what we're going to look at is how it is we need to, to make the significant time necessary in order to fulfill what God has called us to. To make disciples takes time. But when we're making disciples, that's what makes time significant. The early church gave significant time to God's work. And what we want to see today is how they were good stewards. This is a description of the early church and what disciple-making families look like. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go now to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 42. Caden's going to come read for us, so let's all stand together in honor of God's Word as Caden comes. Again, we're in Acts chapter 2. Uh, this is a description of the early church. Caden, read that for us. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Caden. Well done. If you would, go ahead and be seated, church. Understand, the book of Acts is descriptive. It's describing that transitional time uh, between the Old Testament and the, the era of the church. Uh, Acts is describing what happened after Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and the Spirit of God came and the church was birthed into the world. And the book of Acts is describing this. Now the epistles, the epistles are prescriptive. They tell us what we're to do, why we're to do it, how we're to do it. The book of Acts is describing how all of this began. Now, the people in the early church, sometimes we can kind of get this idea that they were some kind of superhumans. Friends, they're just like us. They were just as messed up as any of us. They were not perfect people. They were people who needed a Savior. They relied on the same Savior and the same Holy Spirit as us. Now, one thing that's different that, that we have going for us, they did not have the Bible. If you got your Bible, I want you to just take it out for just a second. I want you to understand, they didn't have this. They had the Old Testament and the apostles' teaching. Now, the gospel had already been realized because Jesus Christ had come, but none of the gospels had been written, none of the epistles had been written. So they were, they were depending upon the Old Testament and the teaching of the apostles. Here we are now today, and we have the entirety of God's Word, and with it, a great responsibility. And so this description in Acts 2.42, it, it, it reveals to us a stewardship that was happening. There was absolutely a financial stewardship, but more than that, there was a time stewardship that we need to focus in on and learn today. We are responsible for our time. And there has never been a freer people in, in, in the history of humanity than we are today. 
We have power. We have a great prosperity. And with that comes responsibility, but also temptation. Because of the freedom we have to to use our time for whatever we want, we're going to be tempted to use our time in ineffective ways. And when I say ineffective, I mean ways that do not honor God and do not help our children for where they're going to be 500 years from now. We have a responsibility to understand how important our time is. And and honestly, it's in days of adversity when it's easier to be a good steward. It's more difficult when there's prosperity and power like we have. Listen to what these three wise men said. This is uh, Billy Graham first. Comfort and prosperity have never enriched the world as much as adversity. Listen to what Tacitus said. Many who seem to be struggling with adversity are happy. Many amid great affluence are utterly miserable. Don't we see that in North America? Listen to what Abraham Lincoln said. Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. We have a lot of prosperity, and with that prosperity, we have a lot of power, power over our time. And friends, we need to be good stewards of that time. We need to be mindful that we're going to need to give an account for that time. And to be effective in using our time and making it significant time, we need to have a clear vision, a clear mission, a clear passion for what we are living for and why. Friends, we can no longer rely on societal institutions to do the work of parenting the way some generations have been able to do in the past. A couple of uh, illustrations that that came to me this week when I was listening to the briefing. I'm breaking a rule of mine. I have a very strong rule that I never quote living people because living people change. But I I love Al Mohler, and every Monday through Friday, I listen to a a thing called The Briefing that he does each morning, and I I highly recommend it to you. I shared it on my Facebook and on Twitter this morning, and uh, and Al Mohler, I believe he's someone we can trust. If he changes and he goes away from Scripture, I'll kill him, all right? And that way we just have his good stuff. No, I won't kill him. That's not a threat. I'm just saying. So uh, this week on Wednesday, and I, 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 I posted that episode. He talked about the demise of Boy Scouts of America, how they filed for bankruptcy this week. An institution, an organization that was one time trusted to raise up godly young men. In 1991, they had a very clear stance on, on what they believed a, a, a good godly man would be and what, what, that, what that young man would be like. By 2017, they had reversed their course and they lost their minds. They are now filing for bankruptcy because they no longer have a clear vision for what God intended. And so they're becoming uh, basically obsolete. And friends, we can't trust the Boy Scouts of America anymore. In Iowa, there's now a law being passed that's going to protect the rights of parents. Believe it or not, we now have to have a law to protect the rights of parents because there's a school system that's basically saying to parents in Iowa, you can't, you can't, we can't tell you, and it doesn't matter what you think about what we're teaching your child. As it pertains to sexuality, as it pertains to morals, you just need to send your kid to to school and we're going to teach them whatever we want no matter what you think. There's a law that's being sought out to be passed so that parents, one, can know what's being taught, and two, not so that the parents will stop what's being taught, but simply so that if they want to, they can can have their child opt out. But you know what the, the powers that be are saying? You're wrong, mom and dad. You need to just turn your child over to the institution of the government to raise them because we know what's best for your child. Friends, that's dead wrong. 
We have a responsibility, and the greatest need of our day is for Christian men and women, for Christian families to, to impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. This is the need of our day. This is what significant time needs to be given to right now. We must be mindful of that. We must understand our responsibility to that. And that's what we see described in Acts 2, 42 through 47. This description reveals what healthy families need to give significant time to. Four things I would encourage you to take note of today. The first is this. Healthy families give significant time for the word and prayer with Christ. So we see in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Again, they had the Old Testament and the apostles' teaching. Then it says in the fellowship and the breaking of bread, we're going to go back to that in just a moment. And the prayers. Again, these early believers didn't have what we had. They, don't have, they didn't have the entirety of Scripture. We do. We have the Old and New Testament, and we have the privilege and responsibility to know God and to know this Word. We've got to give time to feed our souls the Word of God. Understand what the Bible is. Understand what the Bible does. The Bible is God's way to help us understand reality. Psalm 119.105 says this. The word is a lamp to my feet. Thy word is, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Two things that the word does. First of all, it's a lamp to my feet. So it tells me where I'm standing. It tells me what's going on with me. When you read the Bible, what you'll soon find out is the Bible's reading you. It's revealing your attitudes, your actions, your way of life. And what the word does is it illuminates to us where we stand, what's happening with us. But more than that, it's light to my path. I can see what's going on in my world. I can see what's down the road. I can see what's happening. And if you're not in the Word of God, you have no sense of where you are, and you have no sense of the reality that's going on. You are deceived. You're depending on your feelings or the feelings and thoughts of others rather than God Almighty. And God is the only one who is true. Everyone else has an ulterior, uh, ulterior motive that's going to cause harm. But we have a God who loves us, and He's given us His Word to reveal truth to us so that we can know where we stand and what's happening in our world. Second thing the Bible does is that is the, is the Bible is God's way to change us. Listen to this description of the Bible in Acts chapter 4. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active. It's, it's not dead print. It's living and active. It's doing something sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints, of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When you read the Word of God, the Word of God is active. It does something in you. It cuts you. It cuts down to the soul. And it opens you up to the reality of what God wants to do. This is, this is how God changes us. This is what He's doing with His Word. And understand, third, the Bible is how God is working in the world. Isaiah 55, 11. It's one of my favorite scriptures about the Word itself. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is going to work. It is working. God sent his word to save sinners, and, and that work is happening. It's happening as we reveal this word, as we speak to this word, as we share this word. That's why it says in Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. We have a responsibility to share the Word of Christ. 
to speak it. And the way God works is through His Word. And when we are sharing His Word, we're talking about His Word at home. We're talking about it as we drive down the street. We're talking about it at work. They're talking about it at school. We're talking about it with family and friends. There is a work that is happening because there is a power in the Word itself. The Bible is living and active. This is how God's work is done. It's through His Word and through prayer. Let me tell you three things about prayer. First of all, prayer is how we draw near to God. Again, back to Hebrews chapter 4, this time in verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. This is where Jesus is. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. This section of Scripture is describing how we who follow Jesus Christ are able to count on Him as our great high priest. And we can gain access to God. We draw near to God through Jesus Christ as we pray. And we can, we can pray with confidence. We can draw near to God in confidence. That's what prayer does. Prayer is also how we discern God's will. Are you looking to make a big decision? Any decision? If, you're, if you have children, you've got big decisions to make. What are we going to eat after this? It's a big decision. You know, what time are they taking a nap? And if they're 12 or under, they need to, if they are under 90, they need to take a nap, all right? So it's a big decision. You know, what time? 1 or 1.15? I mean, I don't know. You got to pray about it. You got to pray to understand and discern God's will. Jesus did this. Uh, this is um, Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. In these days, he went out to the, to the mountain. This is Jesus to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. Why? Because he had to make a decision. What decision? And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Jesus Christ did not hire a consulting firm to determine who his disciples should be. Can I tell you, no legitimate consulting firm would have recommended the hiring of those people. No legitimate consulting firm would have recommended me as your pastor either, okay? How did they know? How did Jesus know? He prayed. How are you going to know God's will? You have to pray specifically. You have to say to God, God, it seems like this is what you want me to do. And if this is where you want me to go, it seems to me, God, that this needs to happen, this needs to happen, this needs to happen. So you begin to pray specifically for those things. If they happen, you continue to go forward. If you don't, you pause. And you say, okay, God, what else might you want me to do? And you begin to pray, Holy Spirit, show me what you want. If you want me to go this way, it seems that you would need to do this, this, and this. And you pray specifically for those things. And as God answers that prayer in the negative or in the positive, you trust Him. And you know His will because you've prayed. You're praying to understand, to discern God's will. Third thing, prayer is how we draw near to God. It's how we discern God's will. Third thing. Prayer is how God's power is released to do His will. Mark chapter 9 is one of my favorite sections of Scripture. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus has gone up on the Mount of Transfiguration with the varsity team, all right? Peter, James, and John. And so they're up there, and they're seeing Moses and Elijah and God the Father speaking. Meanwhile, the JV team disciples are at the bottom of the mountain. And this dad walks up and says, hey, can you guys heal uh, my son? And they can't do it. So Jesus comes back with the varsity guys and heals them. Now later in private, they come to him and say, Jesus, what's the deal? We went on that mission trip. Remember, we healed all those people. Why couldn't we do this? Look what Jesus said. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, 
uh, why could we not cast it out? Look what he said. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The Son of God had to pray for the release of this child from that demon. If the Son of God had to pray for the power of God to be released, how much more do we? It is through prayer that the power of God is released in the world. John 14, 14, look what Jesus said. Ask me anything in my name and I will do it. Whenever we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. Now that's not just something that we sign on at the end. What we're saying when we say in Jesus' name is we're saying, Father, I believe this is what you want according to your word given by your Holy Spirit, and I'm asking it in the name of Jesus because I'm convinced this is what you want. Jesus said, when you ask me for what I have commanded and what I have revealed is my will, ask anything you want and I'll do it. God is working in the world. He's working according to His will. We discern His will as we draw near to God, as we pray specifically, and as we trust in this power. Friends, you must pray. You must feed your soul the Word of God. Mom and Dad, what are you feeding your kids? I'm not talking about food. I'm talking about for their soul. What are you feeding your child's soul? Their soul is feeding on something. YouTube stuff? Video games, what is your child feeding their soul on? What are you feeding your soul on? How are you teaching your child to pray? Just at meals? Or are you teaching them to draw near to God, to discern God's will, to release His power according to what He has already said He wants to accomplish? Friends, we must learn this. We must teach our children to do this. And I know some of you struggle to know how to do this because most, most Christians have been taught, go to church, get involved in the program, and you'll probably become a disciple. That's not happened in the last 50 years. We're being, more in, uh, we're being far more intentional. Parents, if you'll look, grandparents, if you'll look in your bulletin, there's a listing of family discipleship courses that we're going to offer. I want to highly recommend mom and dad, grandparents, you get signed up for those courses and you invite friends and other family members to join in. These are fundamental trainings that unfortunately many people have not been taught. I'm talking about these things that are true in God's Word, and I know many of you feel overwhelmed with that responsibility because no one's ever taught you how. We're going to teach you how to be disciple makers of your family. This is the will of God. Second thing to note is this. Healthy families give significant time for seeing and serving in Christ. It says, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, these people, they knew why these lives were being changed the way they were in Jerusalem. Here's what they, did, they, they knew for sure. This massive movement of God was not happening because the disciples were such slick marketers and good salesmen. They knew that wasn't the reason. They knew that, that they didn't have the capacity to be slick. Here's what they knew. Lives were being changed in the name of Jesus. They knew that there was power in the name of Jesus and that there was a transformation that is happening. Friends, learn that lesson. Learn that lesson, and when you share your story, when you share what God is doing in your life, make sure you explain to people it's because of Jesus. 
See, I, I was an outsider. I, I, I saw me and then, and then church people, me and my friends, we were bad people. And the reason why those people were good people is because they were good people. They did good because they were good. And I was bad, so I couldn't do good. It was, it was so wonderful to go to church and realize they were all as messed up as me. Here's what, here is the hope for some of you today who think, looking around this room, man, everybody here's got it together. I know these people. They don't. All right? As a matter of fact, foundational for being a member of Living Hope, you have to admit you're a sinner and you have to trust in a Savior. Please tell people that the reason why your life is being lived the way it is, it's not because you're good or because you're smart. It's because of Jesus Christ. Here's what this early church knew. What was happening was because of Jesus. And because it was Jesus, look what it says. Look at the description in in verse 43. Awe came upon every soul. Paul Tripp has written an entire book on awe. Look what he says about awe. I came to see that I was wired for awe, that awe of something sits at the bottom of everything I say and do. But I wasn't just wired for awe. I was wired for awe of God. No other awe satisfies the soul. No other awe can give my heart the peace, rest, and security that it seeks. I came to see that I needed to trace awe of God down to the most mundane of human decisions and activities. Only when awe of God rules your heart will you be able to keep the pleasures of the material world in their proper place. You're going to live in awe of something. Please don't do it and be in awe of a sports team or an athlete or a celebrity or money or looks or anything else you can't keep or won't survive. Make sure that you know who the real true God of the Bible is and that you are experiencing Him and seeing Him at work. And you know what's going to happen? Awe. And your heart is going to be delighted. And when you see Jesus, when when you're really seeing, as we're talking about seeing in Christ, well, then something's going to happen to you. This awe will set off and you're going to start serving in the name of Christ in powerful ways. I mean, look what happened in the book of Acts. All right. Look at, go, you've got your Bibles there in Acts. Go to chapter four real quick. Look what happened in verse 23. Because they were seeing their lives in Christ, they began to serve in Christ. And so they started praying for miracles. It says that they prayed boldly. And in that bold prayer, God was moving. Look what happened in Acts chapter 5. Because they were seeing everything in Christ, they began to serve and to give and and sacrifice the way Barnabas did. And and look in chapter 6. These are busy men. Look in Acts 6. These guys are busy. And yet they put everything else aside so they can serve widows. Why? Because they were seeing everything through Christ, in Christ. They were serving in Christ because of who He was. Look in chapter 7. It's one of my favorite stories in Acts 7. It's so, it's so sad. At the same time, it's so wonderful. In, in, in Acts 7, you see Stephen preaching the gospel, right? And he's martyred. He's killed for preaching the gospel. But look what happens when he dies. At the end of chapter 7, go back and study this. When you, when you see, when, you, when we read about Jesus in the New Testament, he's always seated at the right hand of God. But look where Jesus is in the, the end of chapter 7 when Stephen is dying. He looks up. Stephen looks up and he sees heaven open. And what's Jesus doing? He's standing. 
He's standing, celebrating his servant, celebrating his faith commitment, celebrating this one who said, I will die for you, Jesus. This is not someone who's believed in a marketing plan. This is not someone who comes to Christ as a consumer. This is a person who says, Jesus Christ is God. He's been raised from the dead. He's coming again, and I'm going to live my life in light of him. He is seeing life in Christ. He is serving in Christ. And then chapter 8. Chapter 8, here is this racist. He was a racist. Philip was a racist. He was raised to hate Samaritans. And what's he do? God sends him to the people he hated, and he starts preaching. And what happens? There's a revival. So all these people start getting saved. There's a huge church. And then look what happens in in verse 26. An angel comes in 826 and says, okay, uh, Philip, heads up. God wants you to go in the middle of nowhere. There's this road that nobody knows about between Jerusalem and Gaza. Just go. I mean, think about how weird that was. I mean, there are people getting saved left and right. Philip has to come back to the church and say, "Uh, guys, heads up. I know it sounds weird. Angel just showed up out back, told me to go the middle of nowhere. And you know, they were like, okay, well, what are you going to do? Don't know. No, no, I'm just supposed to go. I mean, this would be like some of you today going home and saying, hey, I'm going to the middle of a desert in Arizona to do what? God just said go. Why in the world would Philip go? Because of Jesus. Because he was seeing all of life in Jesus. He was serving in Jesus. And this is what the early church was doing. They were in awe of Jesus. They were serving in Jesus. And so you see third... Healthy families give significant time for fellowship and worship of Christ. So back to verse 42, the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and then the description of what that really means in verses 44 through 46. Friends, make sure you understand, this is not socialism or communism. This is, this is generosity. The law was not commanding them to do what they were doing. Listen, they were already being taxed heavily by Rome and by the temple tax. They were doing more than being taxed. They were being generous. Having already given up probably half of their income, they were still giving to one another. They were still providing for one another. And and that's not even to talk about the time. See, one of the greatest gifts you can give someone is time. See, when you start showing up for a small group after you've been working all day and you're tired and what you really want to do is just go home and lay down and just feel, you know, feel tired. When, when you are in awe of God and you are, are excited about what he's doing, you want to be with other believers and you want to be an encouragement to them. I love after uh, Paul had been at Thessalonica, years later, years later after this, the early church, uh, look what he said. This is in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, look at this, but also our, our own selves because you had become so dear to us. What Christians do is we don't just show up for a couple of hours and, and salute the Savior and say, see ya. No, this is a way of life. It's a way of life that requires sacrifice. It's a way of life that says, I'm going to give the emotional and mental energy, and I'm going to connect with other believers. And, and it's not just in homes. 
where they had to cook and where they had to clean and, and where they had to get ready and then, and then meet for coffee early in the morning and then meet at another time because someone couldn't be there so that they could make sure that they were all caring well for each other. And, and when there was a, 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 a loss, everyone came to give support. When there was a victory, they all came to celebrate. That's what the church does. And it happens in small groups. But they were not only meeting in small groups. It says that they were gathering at the temple. Now, what was going on there? Well, temple was about the only place they could legally all show up. And by the way, there are thousands of them. When they were showing up at the temple, what they were doing is they were putting their lives at risk. They, they were about to start killing Christians. So they were showing up and saying, we're with the one who said he's been raised and was. And we're with the rest of these people that you're about to start arresting. And we're going to stand with him. You know what that did? First of all, it honored God. But it, it caused the believers to encourage one another. It stirred up this joy. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning verse 24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, when you show up for worship, you encourage me. You, 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 your presence tells me this is worth me giving my life to. If, if, if people stop coming and start saying, you know what, I'm going to do something else, you know what that's going to tell me? I probably need to do something else. You know what happens when you show up and you're singing and when Chris is dancing on the front row? It, it says that this is worth doing. When, when, when our people gather, what we're saying to one another is, this is the right thing. This is a good thing. And we encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day of Jesus Christ coming back. Friends, your presence is important. Your participation is important. It brings glory to God. It brings encouragement to us. I, I saw this on uh, Facebook. It's a great article, but the picture and the title says it all. Church should be your excuse for missing everything else. He is worthy. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be corporately prayed to. He is worthy to be responded to in the preaching of his word. Last thing, healthy families give significant time for becoming disciples and making disciples of Christ. So here they are, they're praising God and having favor with all the people. What they're doing is they're becoming more like Jesus. Jesus, God in flesh, had to grow. The description of the growth of Jesus is found in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Look what the scripture says. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. Look at this, and in favor with God and man. Now, how did the church grow? Praising God and having favor with all the people. They were becoming more like Jesus. And in so doing, had greater influence like Jesus. And because they were becoming more like Jesus, they began to see in a movement of God. They began, look at that, they began to make disciples and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Something amazing happens when a mom and dad love each other with the love of Jesus. Something amazing happens when we teach our children to love other children with the love of Jesus. Something amazing happens when families who are disciples of Jesus love other families with the love of Jesus. It's called an awakening. This is what we are praying for. This is what we are seeking. Take just a minute. Look at verses 42 through 47 again. Just glance at it real quick. What stood out to you today? What matters to you? 
Let me ask him, are you, is your family truly devoted to Bible study? Are you gathering for worship faithfully? Are you in a group? Are you connecting? Are you praying for God to be at work? Is the result of your life awe for God, unity in your family, unity in the church? Are you seeing people come to faith? Are you seeing miracles? This is the need of our day. The church to be the church. Disciples making disciples. If you're not a disciple, come get on your knees and ask Jesus to forgive you and take over your life. Families, pray for one another today. Encourage one another. Come and pray for families you know that are in need. Come and pray for this awakening that we keep talking about. Ask God to do it. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, you are great. There is none like you. And we are so grateful for sending, you sending Jesus for us and, and the Holy Spirit and this life that we can now live in Christ alone. Father, would you save some today as they repent and believe the gospel? Would you renew families today in their conviction and their calling uh, to be disciple makers in their home and in their community? Lord, we're counting on you. We can't do this. So please hear us as we pray and we ask for divine intervention. Friends, come, come pray for an awakening. Come pray for your family. Come pray for you.